Welcome to Neighbor to Neighbor, a podcast focused on highlighting extraordinary individuals and organizations making an impact in our community. Neighbor to Neighbor is produced by WeQ, a not-for-profit cooperative credit union based in Bellingham, Washington. In North Bellingham, there's a mushroom farm producing hundreds of pounds of mushroom every single week in indoor warehouses. Driving by, you wouldn't know it's there. What's more interesting is that these aren't your regular white button mushrooms that you typically see on pizza or salad. Instead, they're all exotic varieties. And no, exotic does not mean psychedelic. Rather, mushrooms that are more commonly found in European or Asian cuisine. In this episode of Neighbor to Neighbor, I speak with Alex Winstead about his story. How he went from a walk in the woods hunting mushrooms with a friend to committing his life to growing and selling them. And we'll talk about mushrooms that glow in the dark, training truffle hunting dogs, and the time that he tried pickled mushrooms in Uruguay. Thank you for taking the time to join me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Keith. I'm really curious to learn more about your business and your story and um but why don't we start off with you and take me back to the beginning where did this come from where did you first develop an interest in mushrooms Mm -hmm. like what was what was the very first piece of that whole story i guess it it started must have been my sophomore year of college I moved to this new campus in Olympia, started meeting people, and somebody first told me about like hunting mushrooms for food. Mm. And that was something, you know, I, like I knew that it existed sort of in the periphery of my mind, but I never like thought like, oh, I'm gonna go out and do that. But so a friend introduced me to it and I was like, this is amazing, because you just you're basically walking through the woods in our environment with just a completely different set of glasses on that you normally would wear and you start noticing minute things and mushrooms are always hiding in little places and um, we just start looking. You get your mushroom goggles on and um, really start finding them. And then once you start finding this vast diversity of wild mushrooms that we have in the Pacific Northwest, and then you can start learning which ones which and which are good for for food and for medicine, which ones are extremely toxic or poisonous. And it just kind of opened this whole world for me. So, okay, so you, you meet somebody and um, it sounds like your, I guess, knowledge of mushrooms in general is fairly limited, kind of fairly mm-hmm. normal for uh, yeah. uh, folks around here. And they said, hey, let's go hunt some mushrooms. And you're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so t- tell me about that, that first day. What do you remember experiencing that first day of hunting mushrooms? Um, we were in like a, like a, a river delta area so it's a big wetland and we were looking for uh, rotting alder trees that would be growing um, oyster mushrooms and so if anybody's been out in or if anybody knows about you know hunting mushrooms around here it's a common mushroom in our area in the spring and the fall Um, and they typically grow from these dead alder snags which we have a ton of you just go to any little creek area and you'll find standing dead alder trees and we were walking through this forest and you'd see these just enormous clusters of beautiful white oyster mushrooms hanging mostly just out of reach you know, um, from these standing trees because they were you know, a good 10 to 20 feet in the air. But then we'd also find them on all the fallen trees too that were you know, in and around this creek area. And so 
filling up a, we probably had like paper grocery bags, you know, full of these things and then taking them home and, you know, cooking them up and eating them. And that was also at a time when I was, you know, just learning to like fend for myself as a human being outside of my parents at home. And so I was learning to cook and so kind of, yeah, was just spawning from that. So it was all very exciting new stuff for me. Nice. Okay. So you, you're out there, you're looking for these trees and would you say that that's when you, you caught the bug? I'd say that was the beginning of me catching the bug for sure. And the, from there, I went into learning what the mushrooms and fungi, uh, what their role is in the ecosystem and how they are these great nutrient recyclers. They are actually decomposing these dead and dying trees and turning them into you know soil that will then feed the next generation of trees and animals and everything. So they're kind of really this you know key base layer of the you know the whole food web and everything in our in our forests and really all over the all over the environment. So that got me just even more excited about mushrooms and mycology in general. And then um, later on, a couple years later, I heard a talk from a, a famous mycologist in Olympia, Paul Stamets, who is a mushroom grower and sort of environmental crusader. And that just like totally <laughs> like hit on all of my values of, you know, learning about mushrooms, um, wanting to do something positive for the environment and um, yeah, trying to save the world basically with mushrooms. And so wow. he's got this uh, a whole philosophy of how we can harness the, the power of mushrooms and mycelium, which is the, the fungal body of, of mushrooms to break down toxins and sort of heal, uh, heal the earth in some ways. Wow. Um, so that kind of caught me, all my gear is turning and uh, brought me around to actually growing mushrooms too. So that's, that's an interesting thing. I mean, this goes beyond just a random thing that you eat. <laughs> yeah. It goes into, I mean, and that's, that's three podcasts right there. Yeah, and we don't um, need to put that in there. No, it's interesting. <laughs> I mean, so it sounds like a combination of things that caught your, your, your ear, your interest. Yeah. But I think the biggest interest to me is that you saw mushrooms as something that could have a profound impact. They are having it. Mushrooms are constantly having a profound impact on our environment. They they are what is decomposing all of this, you know, everything that is, you know, living and dying on planet Earth gets decomposed by a fungus and a bacteria at some point. And so regardless of who pays attention or if nobody pays attention, they're here, you know, allowing life on Earth to, to you know, continue on in a lot of ways. I see. And so... Just that was just like a for me, it was it just turned me on to this whole like micro world of what's going on, you know, beneath our feet all the time. And um, just got me really excited about learning more about that and just something that's totally brand new and, and more or less unseen. And so just being able to participate that in that a little bit was, you know, really exciting for me. So you went from your first mushroom hunt to like. I want to learn more. Mm-hmm. And then so it's, it sounds like a lot of studying and kind of like seeking out information. And then eventually it sounds like you started growing mushrooms. What mm-hmm. prompted you to want to grow your, your first mushrooms? Um, just wanting to, I've always enjoyed working with my hands and creating things. And so once I saw that you could do it and was basically handed like the manual to do it, I was like, well, 
you know, I, I like making things. Like, I like tinkering and stuff. So I'm just going to do this and see if I can. Um, and actually, another student and I at Evergreen, we, we went out um, into the woods, collected wild mushrooms, and were actually able to re-culture them in the lab at the college and um. then grow them out um, in, you know, sort of a semi controlled environment similar to what we what i'm still doing today so wow um you know we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants and trying to just figure out what we're doing yeah. and we had a little bit of success um but you know that was my first introduction to that whole process yeah um, what but, did you what did you major in? it sounds like you're very kind of like sciencey yeah it was my my uh, area of focus in college was environmental science okay. with a focus on mycology and botany and okay, so, so it really fit into that. Did that develop from this discovery process? Definitely, yeah. Cool. And once once I started falling in love with um, mycology, I tried to pursue all the possible ways I could within my area of study to, you know, get credit for learning more about mushrooms. And so there was just a single class at Evergreen at the time that was a, a two-quarter class called the Fungal Kingdom where you learn about uh mushrooms fungi and lichens and um so that that really trained me in how to identify wild mushrooms so learned the whole process of taking taking a mushroom that you find in the wild that you have no idea what it is bringing it back to you know your your lab where you're studying and going through the anatomy and figuring it out um and, and the textbooks which are just dense it's basically like if yes go to you know point two and then you you continue to narrow it down it's just a, a series of uh, deductions basically to then find out what it is that's kind of fun it's very like cool you, you, it's like a bit of a treasure hunt because you get to yeah. go out in the woods and find this thing and then you get to bring it back and totally you know try to figure out who it is that's that's to- I, I remember when i was a kid i was homeschooled for one year and that year i had a bug board where i found a bug and i'd stick a pin in it mm-hmm. and then i had all these different bugs and i had the same process where i was like i wonder what this bug is i've never seen this bug before yeah. Um, so it sounds like kind of like that where it's like really interesting. You're trying to, yeah. you're identifying it, but it was a part of your education. Yeah. I felt like I had a really good college experience in that way. So it was just full of kind of this, you know, these big discoveries for me, um, which led me down this path to starting my own mushroom farm. Awesome. So you graduate from Evergreen and what's your next step in your journey? I was ready for a change. And so I moved to Bellingham, um, to try it out and, um, yeah, I moved up here. I was working for the community food co-op was my first job and then as a landscaper, but always growing mushrooms on the side and um, starting starting this hobby that was getting just a little bit out of control. And um, what, does, what does that mean? It was just, it was more of an obsession than, uh, than a hobby. You know, some, that's, that's what I wanted to do. And so I knew that I wanted to do that. And it was just a matter of like, okay, how do I make a business? I don't know anything about business. So what, is, what does an obsession look like for that on the side? Do you have It like, was like the entire basement and like a good chunk of the garage oh. was like all dedicated to my mushroom growing hobby. Wow. And it meant, and I was in a rental house and it meant me totally cleaning up this kind of dingy basement in the Birchwoods and like, you know, fully like just whitewashing everything and like painting it all so it was like really nice you know but yeah you have to grow mushrooms in a very clean environment and so i needed that and it couldn't just be some dingy moldy basement um it had to be something that i could work in so yeah it was you know it was me 
putting in a significant amount of time, energy, and funds to, to make it happen. You are listening to Neighbor to Neighbor, a podcast by WeQ. Did you know you can download this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts? Just search Neighbor to Neighbor. Okay, back to the conversation. And so you have this really elaborate hobby and you're like, man, I got to turn this into into something where I can make money and do this yeah. full time. Yeah. Yeah. Always in the back of my mind was the, the desire to have my own mushroom farm um, and turn it into a business. So when do you, when do you pull the trigger? What's the first step? Um, it was late in 2005. So I hadn't even been in Bellingham for a year and... Um, I just decided I'm going to get ready for the following farmer's market season. I want to be there, um, for opening day of the farmer's market 2006 and basically just increased what I was doing, spent more time on it and kind of just tried to increase my volume, um, and was able to, yeah, get the hundred bucks together. I needed to buy an easy up canopy and, um, join the market and, went down there with just my little folding table and I think like probably 10 pounds of mushrooms or something like that. That you grew in your basement and garage? Yes. Nice. (laughs) And, um, you know, people were thrilled to see me there and that's, that's really, that was what I needed. I needed to like actually test the waters a little bit Mm -hmm. and see if the public would show up and what their reaction would be. Were there other mushroom growers at the farmer's market before you came? Uh, kind of, Several years before I came, there was another mushroom farm in the area that did vend at the farmer's market for a few years, um, doing the white button mushrooms. Okay. So we were doing something, t- or I was doing something totally different um, with the, we do the exotic specialty varieties. So the most common thing we grow is a shiitake mushroom, and then it just gets weird from there. We got oyster mushrooms, we got lion's mane, piapinos, cinnamon caps, we're growing medicinal reishi mushrooms and turkey tails. So a lot of it's pretty niche, you know. There's, we had to do a lot of what we do at the farmer's market is education just because the first time somebody comes up to see our booth, they're like, what is going on here? Those aren't mushrooms. Like that's not the little white button mushroom you get on a pizza or that you're putting on salad or whatever. And um, they're, you know, essentially wild mushrooms that we've tamed and, you know, grow them on a farm. Um, and so that's that's really what I love about the specialty mushrooms is they are so close to what I fell in love with in the wild mushrooms, you know, all these various varieties and things. Um, so I, I feel like our farm is, we are growing wild mushrooms. They're just, they've been cultivated. They've been brought into cultivation. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, on, there's so much to unpack there. I mean, I think first of all, the education portion, I think would be interesting for me, mm-hmm. but I also want to continue to go with your story, but let's start there. Okay. So I have the knowledge of the white button mushrooms or whatever mm-hmm. you're talking about. Take me from there to what you what you have, purposes, tastes, mm-hmm. uses, all those sorts of things. Um. I'd say the the my like um, gateway mushroom for people who are just just stepping beyond the white button mushroom um, world is the shiitake, 
which is definitely my all-time favorite mushroom when people always ask you what my favorite mushroom is and that definitely is it just because it's one that you can't get too much of it in my opinion it's so good and it's just reliably like goes with almost anything you want to make it with it's got a real strong um umami flavor um and so it's it's earthy and like salty or like umami is like a a a savory flavor it's it's hard to describe but it's got that earthy savory um kind of blast of flavor that goes great in uh making it with eggs you can put it on pizza you make pasta sauces um they're also great just baked in the oven if you get the big ones i'll just do like a real quick marinade on and mm-hmm. bake them in the oven whole or put them on a grill um, and they're super good so it's it's almost a flavor profile that you don't necessarily find elsewhere exactly yeah uh the shiitake flavor is not found anywhere else in my opinion fascinating um mm-hmm. it's um it is it's a flavor profile and it's it's a meatiness too that you don't get with uh your common white button mushroom um and so it really is it can be a meat replacement a, re, a meat replacer in any dish um do you see people that are vegetarians using absolutely. mushrooms yeah yeah okay. vegetarians tend to be the most adventurous mushroom eaters oh. because it is it's it's a fleshy vegetable basically mm-hmm. <laughs> and so yeah, the other they're easily um used in dishes and replacement for meat and then you have your other types of mushrooms do those just fill different flavor profiles or are they it's, used for different things uh yeah so we got um different flavor profiles different textures um, different appearances too and so we work with a lot of chefs um, and some some chefs want certain mushrooms if they're going to be presented you know um, if they're going to be just diced and put in something that a lot of times chefs don't care what they look like as long as they get the flavor profile they're going for but um, one of the unique ones that we do is piapino um, which is it's a long slender um, small mushroom um, that comes in little clusters and they have a really unique kind of crisp flavor to them um, and a nice earthy flavor that's not like overpowering um, but they but they're great for presentation because you can leave the mushrooms whole and cook them up they don't they don't lose their structure like a lot of a lot of mushrooms do if you cut them up um, they kind of like disappear these stay like nice and robust and so a lot of times um, they'll get served on on steak or fish or like on a piece of bread or something or in a sauce they just leave the mushrooms whole so it's got a great you know the person eating it knows that they're eating this you know mushroom and it's obviously not a white button mushroom um so it's kind of like an exotic factor definitely yeah and that's that's a great mushroom we've got a a real loyal following um for that probably prior to five years ago you didn't really see it that much um we've been growing it for at least that long it's getting more popular um, the other really bizarre one that um, when people come up to our booth they're uh, just totally blown away by is a lion's mane, um, which looks like a furry pom-pom kind of. So it's kind of this snowball looking thing that can be like as big as a fist with these little spine, furry spines hanging off of it. So it doesn't look like your conventional you know, stem cap mushroom. Um, it's this really just dense, meaty thing that um, in the wild you'd find it growing on the sides of fallen trees. And we actually do have a relative of that 
mushroom here that grows in the Mount Baker foothills called bear's head. Um, so it gets a lot of nice animal names, lion's mane, bear's head, and there's there's another one called like goat's beard or something like that. Kind of like pulling into the outdoorsiness exactly. of mushroom Yeah, it is this culture. weird sort of mushroom animal that you find. Um, and that one is extremely meaty. Um, it's also got a really high protein content, so it's another great meat replacer. But you'll chop it up or shred it into small pieces and put it in a pan. It's, it's like snow white when you get it fresh. But then you cook it up, it turns this kind of golden brown color. And there's, I just heard a story the other day from uh, one of our chefs who served it in tacos. And there were the vegetarian tacos. And the customer was like, why is there chicken in my tacos? I ordered the vegetarian tacos. And he's like, no, that's lion's mane. Oh. Uh, and then they were thrilled about so it. So mushrooms can taste like chicken. It, uh, the, some of them do. This one, I wouldn't say it tastes like chicken. I'd say it has more of like a almost lobster, crab-like flavor. Oh, interesting. So they're a little bit sweet um, and savory. Um, but they also have this stringy texture that's kind of similar to uh, like, yeah, it could be like chicken or crab or something. What a versatile thing mushrooms are, and I had no idea. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, then another of the more common mushrooms that we grow is the oyster. So that same one that... I started with in your basement or whatever. Well, yeah, and also the one that we I first found in the wild on my one of my very first mushroom hunting excursions. You know, we're still growing it today, and it's still a big part of my business. Um, and that is a nice uh, sort of nutty, um, mild flavored mushroom hmm. that is very meaty though, um, and it has it's a great sponge for other flavors. So it's uh, a lot of times. Yeah, you cook it in garlic or with like soy sauce or anything. It just like sucks up all those flavors and adds like a nice bit of nuttiness to it. So. You are listening to Neighbor to Neighbor, a podcast by WeQ. Did you know you can download this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts? Just search Neighbor to Neighbor. Okay, back to the conversation. So yeah, it sounds like um, lots of different flavors, lots of different uses, mm-hmm. and these are the conversations that you're having with folks who come to your table at the farmers market. Hundreds of times a day. Hundreds of times a day. Yeah. So you, you're you're well rehearsed on on. It's uh yeah. Sometimes it feels like a broken record. Um, in other cultures in Europe and Asia, mushrooms are it's more of a commodity. There's like so much of it being grown and it's, you know, people are eating these exotic mushrooms. They're not exotic, they're just mushrooms. And, you know, they're eating them every day. Um, and people have a much wider repertoire of the mushrooms that they eat, you know, regularly. Whereas in the United States, it's basically the one. Mm-hmm. And then this kind of new wave of specialty mushrooms is still just cresting you know it's it's just beginning here so interesting and so would you say asian cultures are typically the most it's the most common to find them in 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 different asian cultures in their diets for sure yeah and all of the mushrooms that we grow are commonly grown in japan and and uh, the japanese were a big pioneer in the methods and techniques that we use for growing mushrooms with Europe being pretty close behind on that, um, the United States is definitely way behind on it, I feel like. The, the neat thing about the specialty mushroom industry as I'm seeing it now is that it's all really localized. And so our farm is a great scale for our community. 
if we wanted to get much bigger, we'd be, you know, really, really stretching outside of the Whatcom Skagit County area and, you know, really going for the Seattle market and everything, which isn't something I'm super interested in at this point. Um, and all these other, you know, specialty mushroom farms across the country are doing a similar thing. They're, you know, in smaller communities, so they, they build their farm scale, you know, appropriately. And so they're doing a couple of farmers markets and they're selling to the local restaurants and, you know, more of the specialty grocery stores and making their little niche, which a big national company would have a really hard time doing anything like that. And so it's all part of the the movement for small farms and more local food and people being, you know, interested in that and asking for it. That's so cool. So you know, we talked about some of the flavor profiles that you find in different mushrooms that maybe people aren't aware of, the things that they could add to dishes. Uh, the things that they can replace in dishes, that sort of thing. But then there's also the the kind of like the superfood, the like really good for you with the vitamin D and the protein. Mm-hmm. We're always pushing the nutritional benefits of mushrooms and um, and how they can help support people's health. Um, and that is definitely probably the secondary thing. And there's there's some certain people who come. And they're, you know, they always want to get shiitake because they know about the vitamin D content and the other um, antiviral, anti-tumor properties that are in these types of mushrooms. Lion's mane has been shown to be um, really supportive for the uh, brain function and neurogenesis. And so people um, are seeking that out for treating um, basically folk remedies for um, for uh, brain diseases and Specifically for um, things like dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. Wow. Yeah. That's, so do you have people that are buying your mushrooms that are trying to use it in that way? Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. That's, you know, I guess that's interesting. I, there's there's a thing about mushrooms that kind of has that, that folklore that has a lot of like different... Um, you know, mushrooms are creepy. They grow in dark places. They grow from dead things. Mm-hmm. They, you know, there's there's a lot of kind of like, I guess, a stigma around mushrooms, I think, for people, which um, I find interesting, but maybe something that somebody like you where you're saying, well, this is actually like a really, really cool thing that can, you know, that is delicious and can be used and can do a lot of really good things for your body. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you, would you agree that that's that there's like a lot of different ideas around mushrooms? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, the United States, uh, considered by most mycologists to be very mycophobic, um, and we are a, a Puritan nation, and so we, yeah, are afraid of the dark, the forest, the wild things. <laughs> that is so. Fascinating. And so um, we're, I guess, so for people like us, we're. We're just trying to spread um, knowledge and information, and um, yeah, I wouldn't call it a stigma as much as an allure. <laughs> allure and yeah. so, um, I guess we're trying to just open people's eyes that, that there's nothing to be afraid of, um, because there is there's more. And I'm a new parent now too. I just just had a a baby five months ago, and the one thing that is always kind of uh irksome to me is the whole like don't touch the mushroom it's poisonous you can touch any mushroom you want without getting poisoned there's there's nothing that's going to harm you topically it's only when you start ingesting things 
And it's the same thing with plants. Plants are by far way more dangerous than mushrooms because you can go out in the woods and start touching plants and end up with, you know, skin rashes and stuff that, you know, will plague you for a week. Mushrooms will never do that to you. You can touch the most deadly mushroom in the world and it's not going to harm you at all unless you try to eat it. Um, so there's, there's definitely just this cultural phobia around, around mushrooms. And maybe that's, um, yeah, very much kind of like a Hansel and Gretel sort of thing that if you go out in the woods um, and start picking mushrooms, you, know, you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> ah, so interesting to me. But like you mentioned, there are poisonous mushrooms. Mm-hmm. There's mushrooms that are hallucinogenic. There are mushrooms that are tiny. There are mushrooms that look a little crazy and alien. There's yeah. mushrooms like, I think it's like the honey mushroom that can get huge. Mm-hmm. So And glow in the dark too. Are you serious? Yeah. With, with the honey mushrooms or something? The honey mushroom does, um, it does bioluminesce. Uh, but then there's some other ones that, that glow even more that are like really spectacular. See, that's crazy. Yeah. What was, do you know the name of the one that's, that glows? Uh, there's one that's called, uh, the Latin name is Pinellus stipticus, and I'm blanking on the common name. Um, but it grows in, it grows like in the, in the southeast, so you'll find it in Florida and Georgia and stuff. Um, and we did grow that. It's not an edible mushroom, and it, it might even be toxic to some people. Uh, but we grew it on the farm just to, like, see it glow. And it was, it was amazing. I took some pictures of it. I've, I've got, like, a, an SLR camera so I could do a long exposure on it. And uh, it was pretty amazing. What? Yeah. That is insane. But the honey mushroom, um, which we have abundantly in our area here, um, it's actually the, the fungus part of it that glows, not the mushroom itself. So the oh. part that lives inside of rotting logs. Oh. And they call it foxfire. And um, so actually sometimes if you're in the woods after dark without a flashlight, which, you know, maybe isn't the smartest thing in the first place. People aren't doing too often. Yeah. Um, you might see a glowing log, basically, and that's where the log has broken apart and exposed the, the inner mycelium that's growing in there, and that does uh, bioluminesce. Well, it's no wonder that mushrooms have such a such a reputation. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of crazy stuff going on because <laughs> the giant mushrooms, like how big can those get? Yeah, there's uh, certain colonies of mushrooms that have been found that are, yeah, square miles in, in size. And so it's the same fungus growing in a forest. It's all invisible to the naked eye, but it is... It's in the. It's growing in the soil and through the the rotting debris and everything. But it's found to be the same organism, you know, from this point over here to you know a mile over there. It's the same thing. That's it's, so weird. It's all part of the the living, breathing planet Earth that we live on. Well, that's that's really interesting. So there's a couple other things. Let's let's go back to your business, and then we'll circle mm-hmm. back around to some of these other subjects sure. that I want to cover. That's cool with you. So we have you getting out of the basement, mm-hmm. going to a farmer's market. Things have advanced since then. Yeah. Take me on that, that journey. Yeah. So after, um, after doing that first um, season of the farmer's market, it was, it was a struggle for me to keep up because people were really excited about the products I was growing. Um, I was still working part-time. I worked, I worked part-time while starting the business for like the first five years. Um, and probably about midway through that season, um, it was time to move out of that house I was in. And I moved into a rented cabin in Deming that had a really nice garage 
and on the property, it was owned by this family that had a few houses um, throughout their their land. Um, there was also a small barn that I could rent too. And so I was like, this is the perfect opportunity. And, and so at that point, I was able to, you know, significantly, but still, you know, pretty small, I was able to increase my, my mushroom growing space and production. But so that, that served me pretty well for about three years um, and allowed me to kind of start generating some revenue, getting some customers, um, and just getting more experience, but at the same time being like, man, how am I going to get to the next level? Like I need a serious infusion of cash to, to get to still see that dream of the mushroom farm in my head realized. Um, so at about three to four years in, so that would have been 2008, um, I, um, basically just on a I don't even know I was driving through the county probably sourcing some of the materials I needed for growing mushrooms and saw the USDA service center um, on the side of Hannigan Road and I was like oh, maybe I should go in there and see what this is and walked into the farm service agency office and saw their wall of brochures about farm loans I was like huh maybe I should get a farm loan because at that time I was I didn't qualify for any sort of commercial lending, hmm. um, and I didn't have private funding or anything like that. I was still just the business was just paying for itself, and I was working part time to support myself. So and I found out about their farm loan programs, and the loan manager at the time was really supportive of different types of farming because he he thought he was into mushrooms like he was a hunter and he goes out and finds wild chanterelles and stuff and. So he was like, oh, cool, this guy's into mushrooms? Like, let's talk. Um, and I, he was like, well, put together your business plan. Um, you know, you, you have three years of tax records. Like, that was the minimum requirement. And, you know, so you can't just walk in there on day one and be like, I want to start a mushroom farm. They have to see that you're already, you've already committed yourself. Um, and basically went through their long, arduous process and jumping through all their hoops and applications it was approved for a loan to buy property and build the farm of my dreams. Whoa. Um, so it was 2009 that I broke ground on a piece of raw land uh, just north of Bellingham. So it brought me much closer back to the to the near the city limits. Was that scary in 2009? Oh God, it was so scary. <laughs> and um, and also, yeah, I bought at the totally the wrong time. If I had waited a year, I could have got land for way less, mm. but. At the same time, I was able to capture some great interest rates. Um, it's just part of your story. Yeah, it's just part of the story. And also, in 2009, I was already, you know, just living hand to mouth all the time anyway. So the whole, um, you know, financial crisis was kind of just something I heard about on the news. Mm. I was just... You were like, oh, my stock portfolio. Yeah, no. <laughs> and, and every time I talked to a, a, you know, a company, like a construction company or whatever, they were thrilled to hear from me. They're like, oh, you have a loan to build something? Or like you want you know, to buy this, that, or the other? You know, people were thrilled. You're so. almost like zigging when everyone else was zegging. Exactly, yeah. Nice. So um, From there, you, you build the farm, and you probably start expanding a little bit as far as like who you offer your mushrooms to. But it mm-hmm. sounds like... A, a big thing for you is sticking around to the local area. Yeah. We're currently, we're growing um, 700 or more pounds a week, and we're selling to two dozen restaurants, um, the food co-ops both in Bellingham and Skagit County, 
um, and we're selling to local CSAs um, and doing the farmers market. So, yeah, we're 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 comfortable being local right now. It's it's great, and we're just trying to um, get you know as many people in our area to to enjoy and eat uh, exotic mushrooms as we possibly can. That's awesome. What's uh, what's the dream for the future? What I want the farm to be its next kind of side focus to divert from that a little bit is doing more of these um, medicinal mushroom products. And so focusing on um, these different mushrooms that are used to support the immune system or to support people who are um, doing cancer therapy and develop some products that aren't just mushrooms you eat, but they're um, extracts that you can take um, or capsules or something like that. Interesting. And so it'd be a whole kind of, um, you know, side part of the of taking the mushrooms that we grow and processing them into other um, end user products are a lot of other companies elsewhere doing stuff like that yeah yeah there's quite a few um, and it is definitely a growing area of the whole um, nutritional supplement natural medicine um, economy Um, and mushrooms are definitely the kind of like little sneaky thing on the side that's you know it's not any of the the big flashy things like you know vitamin d and all these other, you know, plant-based things, but um, the mushrooms are definitely gaining some traction. And um, yeah, I think Oprah was talking about them last year, and so that always helps. Oprah was. Yeah. There you go. That, <laughs> that helps. She. People, some people listen to her. Yeah. <laughs> Just a couple. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, I want to get into some of these other like kind of offshoot subjects. Just sure. a pure curiosity. Yep. Truffle hunting. Truffle hunting. It's, oh. I, I've heard. The people use pigs and dogs, and yeah. somehow they're very expensive, and I don't understand any of it. Um, so truffles are a very unique um, fungus. They are a mushroom, um, but they grow underground. Hmm. And so they're, they're thought to be basically a primitive mushroom that during um, times of like you know, severe environmental you know, catastrophe, these are the guys that survived because they were underground. Huh. So you know, deep freeze, whatever, you know you know, global warming, whatever, these things are going to be in there. Um, and this, so they live com- their lives completely underground. Um, and, but they've, they've like genetically, you know, sequenced their, you know, their, uh, their uh, genome and found that they're, they're closely related to these other, you know, normal looking mushrooms, huh. but they've just have at some point in the, you know, history of the world have evolved to go underground. Interesting. Um, one of their tricks though, is that they've, um, developed a, a symbiosis with mammals, um, and particularly uh, rodents. I have no idea what that means. Um, so, like the way uh, a shark will have the, like the little fish that hang out with him oh. to like eat the scraps or whatever, huh. or like uh, <laughs> like a partnership. A partnership, exactly. Symbiosis. Uh, symbiosis. That's a good word. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Um, and so these uh, mushrooms, they rely on a mammal to help spread their spores. Interesting. In the in normal mushrooms, their spores are spread on the wind. So from a mushroom, it releases these tiny little seed-like um, things we call spores, and that's how it reproduces. But on a truffle, the spores are on the inside, huh. and um, once a mammal eats it, um, it transports the spores, and then it deposits them somewhere else in its excrement, um, and then that begins a new colony of this truffle mushroom well, that sounds delicious it sounds delicious <laughs> well and so squirrels have a very good um uh gastronomical uh 
sense to them because they actually, squirrels do harvest wild mushrooms and will actually dry them in their trees. You know, so this is other mushrooms, like the type that I would sell you at the farmer's market, like chanterelles and porcini. Some squirrels will actually take them, dry them, and then stash them away, squirrel them away for winter. But they'll also, they also love these, um, these underground mushrooms. And so the reason that they can find the underground mushrooms is because of the odor, and which is what um, they get all of their, um, you know, kind of gourmet um, hullabaloo about them is their odor. Um, and which is why we can use dogs and pigs to hunt them. Because you can train them to smell something. You and can train them get to smell that something. And you get a treat or whatever. Exactly. Okay, so the or- the odor is the thing that makes them special and desirable. And yeah. desirable. What do they smell like? They smell kind of like a mix between garlic and funky cheese, oh, if I were to describe I get it. That. Oh. Yeah, they're very earthy, um, garlicky for sure. And there's there's a few species of truffles that are you know considered choice gourmet um, that you would want that you would want to use. But you don't eat them like you, you eat a normal mushroom. It's not something you're going to chew on and then get the flavor in your mouth. So that they're, they're typically um, shaved in tiny little, in tiny little like really you know paper thin slices, and it's almost a smell before you get a bite sort oh, of thing. Interesting. And so it infuses, um, and that's the other thing you can do a lot of times. It's infused into oil because uh, fats are the carriers. Truffle oil. Yeah. Ah. Fats are the carriers for the for the um, odors, whatever the chemicals are in the odors. And so you can do oils, you can do butters, and cheeses, um, eggs. Also, you can infuse eggs with truffles. Hmm. Um, but uh, so we do have um, native truffles to the Pacific Northwest. We have the, what they're called Oregon truffles. Huh. And there's a whole movement now of training dogs to be truffle hounds. Um, and... Um, I was actually training my dogs to be truffle hounds, but turns out I'm a much better mushroom grower than I am dog trainer. Oh. Um, I can definitely get them to find truffles if it's indoors. Oh. Um, so they'll, like you put them, the traditional method is to like have a bunch of boxes like placed around your garage and only one of them has something that smells like truffle in them. The rest of them are empty. And so the dog goes around and then like, you know, barks at the one that has the truffle smell in it and then you can give it a treat. As soon as my dogs get outside, all they want to do is, you know, chase birds and squirrels and stuff. And so it's it's really, a, it's a definitely an art to training your dog to be focused once you get them out into the wood, uh. woods environment. So you have to be pretty, pretty rigid when I get out in the woods. Like, I want to look for mushrooms. The dogs are going to run all over the place and do whatever they want to do. And so, yeah, it, it, I, I was kind of a failure at, at training a truffle dog. But I have a friend who's getting pretty good at it with his dog. Um, and I went to a... A conference down in the Seattle area that was uh, the Northwest Truffle Expo, and it was Whoa. all it was put on by this company that trains dogs, and cool. they have their own dogs, and they like travel the world hunting truffles and selling selling truffles, and you know, making man, this is this is a bigger world than I realized. Yeah, that there's oh, yeah. a Northwest <laughs> Truffle, just just one mushroom, yeah. not all the mushrooms, nope. just one. And yeah. how expensive are truffles if you're to buy like? If you're uh, by the pound, they can be anywhere from a hundred to five hundred dollars. Um, Crazy. And then you get into the European truffles, which have the like the five hundred and up uh, per pound price. Whoa. But you're buying it by the ounce or by the gram. Typically. Gotcha. So yeah. it cuts cuts down a little bit. Yeah. So if you wanted uh, the the food co-op in Bellingham would typically sell some of the Oregon truffles around the holidays. 
Um, and they'll have them just like a single truffle in a container and you can get that for less than 10 bucks. Oh, nice. And then you can, you know, shave it onto all kinds of things. And like you use it sparingly. It's like, you know, it's like gold dust or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just want to spread it around to everything. Is that, that something make... that you look forward to, to have some truffles every once in a while? Absolutely. And yeah, yeah and there's, um, there's been a few years. I didn't do it last year, but um, we have a, a, a forager in Oregon who actually has a Christmas tree farm. Truffles, the Oregon truffle loves Christmas tree farms. Oh, cool. Because it's a monocrop, and so it can just kind of take over. Oh. Um, and uh, they were out, and they were finding truffles and sending them to us, and then we were selling them to our local restaurants and cool. stuff. Cool. Um, so, yeah, it's always very exciting. And I never, never make money on that deal. I'll, all I get is truffles for myself. <laughs> nice. Um, what would you say is your favorite mushroom dish if you're like you either yourself cook mm-hmm. it or married mm-hmm. honey would you please make this for me mm-hmm. what is that dish oh gosh like your birthday meal or something like that my birthday meal is always pie <laughs> just pie <laughs> for the whole, the yeah. whole meal um i'm definitely partial to like the kind of rustic like old world um dishes so if you make me a pot pie with mushrooms in it, I'm gonna I'm gonna love it. Um, or like a uh, one of my favorites to make is like a like a smoked salmon and mushroom cream sauce Ooh, that you can put on tasty. fresh pasta, or you can put it on like wild rice or something. Mm. Um, those are a couple of my favorites. But one of my just all time favorites that is super simple is just mushroom skewers on the grill. Mm. And so do uh, with shiitake. Take the medium size caps marinate them lightly in olive oil and soy sauce basically just brush it on them put like three on a skewer and just put them on the grill for you know a couple minutes on each side and then serve that with you know whatever else you're barbecuing and it's super good have you ever done like a vacation where you're like i just can't wait to like find these mushrooms that i can't get here i wish uh i think if i if i ever go to japan that'll definitely be a big focus Every time I do travel, though, I always look for what mushrooms the locals eat. Um, so, for example, uh, my family and I, we were just down in, in Uruguay. Um, mm. So, way South America. is They're just coming into spring now. We're going into fall. And um, we were visiting family. But I started seeing these. Uh, actually, the first place I saw it was we went, they have these, um, like, hot dog carts. That they do like sausages though it's not just hot dogs they call them choros like chorizo mm-hmm. um, and one of the condiments you could put on it was these mushrooms and they were orange and so I was and they're pickled and I was like well what is this mushroom and it took me you know and then I would see and then I saw these jars of pickled mushrooms in some of these fruit stands and stuff and I, we would ask like what what type of mushrooms are these and they would just call them ongos del campo which just means mushrooms from the country and like yeah. they're just like wild mushrooms like nobody knew the type that it was which is so like so they're orange and pickled. Yeah, and they're from the, the country. Yeah, how and, exotic. Yeah, exactly. And then so we just kept questioning people, and finally, somebody was like, "Oh yeah, we have two types of mushrooms: one that grows under eucalyptus, one that grows under pine, and they come up at different times of the year." We had just missed the mushroom season by about a month, mm. um, but then I was able to like do my Google research and figure out what it was. Um, but it was just, you know, it's one of those things where. Yeah, I, I see people eating weird mushrooms. I'm like, I've never tried that. Like, I got to check that one off my list now. So. Yeah, man, that's really cool. Yeah. Pickling mm-hmm. mushrooms. Pickling mushrooms. I've never heard of pickling mushrooms. 
Yeah, it can be done. Um, we got on a bit of a pickling kick a few years ago. Um, my wife and I, we were you know pickling cucumbers, and we're like, well, let's try pickling mushrooms too. And it totally can be done. And you use a standard brine with salt and vinegar and water. Um, Is it good? It's super good. Yeah. Oh. And we uh, we did shiitake, of course. And we use like the little like kind of button size ones. We put garlic in with it and herbs. And um, one of them I put chilies in so they were spicy. And one I put like tamari in it so they kind of got that, you know, like stir fry flavor. And they were a great condiment. You know, you could use it at like picnic or whatever. Cool. Um, but canning, you know, canning mushrooms is like the oldest thing in the book as far as uh, mushrooms in America go. Um, do you can them like dry or do you put like liquid in them? Oh, uh, no. I mean, like the white button mushrooms, like they were all grown for canning originally. Like oh. fresh mushrooms wasn't a thing until probably like the mid 80s or something like that. That's uh, another fascinating yeah. subject. The <laughs> yeah. history of mushrooms in America. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. It's, uh, it's short and sorted. Short and sorted. <laughs> it would be one podcast. I like that. That's 10 minutes. Yep. Wrapped it up. Um, but yeah, pickled mushrooms, are, they can be good. Uh, these ones in Uruguay, they use a ton of vinegar, so they're really sour. It was almost like it needed it needed to be on a bun with a sausage in order to like balance out the like, okay. you know, kind of face puckering. Kind of like you're not just going to like spoonful like sauerkraut, like, yeah. oh, it's so delicious. Yeah, no, not kinda, quite. It needs something else. Yeah. That makes sense. Good as a condiment. Is I guess is there anything, any final thing that you would want people to know about your company or mushrooms or anything like that? Um, I'd say if you're curious about mushrooms at all, definitely come down and see us at the farmers market. We are we are there not only to just sell you mushrooms and you can take them home and eat them, but also to teach people about mushrooms. If they want to learn to grow mushrooms at home as a hobby, we do have kits for that so people can basically take a little chunk of the mushroom mycelium that we grow on the farm take it home with you and we have instructions so we're, we're definitely here for kind of like the community and education as well as you know feeding people's faces so um yeah i just would encourage folks to come down and say hi we're at the bellingham farmers market that's all we have for the show if you like this podcast please leave us a review and subscribe and don't forget You can download this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to your podcasts. Just search Neighbor to Neighbor. Thanks for listening to Neighbor to Neighbor, a community-driven conversation highlighting individuals and organizations making an impact in our community. Neighbor to Neighbor is produced by WeQ. Unless specifically stated otherwise, WeQ does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast. And information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement.